All right, um, this is Dr. Blythe, Two Sisters, and I am one of the great people at Prager's Can Be Choosers, which consists of Rowan, Two Sisters, our midwife, our fully licensed midwife, woo woo, this is 2019, so it's still a fresh, hot off the press Rowan uh, license there. And then we have myself, who is four minutes away from being a fully licensed psychologist, waiting for that paper to show up in the mail, finally, because I passed that test like a boss. And we have Mary Bratcher. She is a licensed massage therapist, and she is a midwifery student, an apprentice here at Preggers Can Be Choosers, as well as our assistant. And um, she's really funny and brilliant. She came up with a name, so she's also our brain child around. And we have Shayna Desai. Um, we spell her name with a money dollar sign instead of the S, like Kesha, but better. Um, and she is our uh, get shit done assistant. So she is part of our crew. And um, this is Preggers Can Be Choosers, the afterbirth podcast, but it's happening live right now. So we are really clever and get together and chat every other week and then record it and throw it up on our podcast so anybody can listen to it whenever they're lonely for us or lonely for connectivity or want to hear what we're talking about. And Rowan tells me today that we are going to talk about postpartum and we want to look at ways that we thought it was going to be this way, but really it was this way. <laughs> so we want to call those zingers for today. So the unanticipated zinger, um, coined by our very good friend, Lisa Sikaris. So she taught us about zingers after our mother died and says, you open that box and you see this thing and you fall apart. That is a zinger. And zingers, I think, are a really good way to describe what you thought postpartum would be. And then it was over here, and that may have made you have strong feelings um, or cry or all sorts of ways that we express our feelings. So I'd like to just kind of go through and see who wants to say hi. You can tell us your name if you have children. Um, if you don't have children, don't want to talk about your kids, that's fine. But just tell us, like, what's happening briefly, and then we will come back to the topic. So who wants to go first? I'm going to meet myself. And also, if you guys would like to join us uh, for the live recording, the live session, um, we are on every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Today is October 15th, so our next meeting would be October 29th at 11 a.m. if you'd like to join us. Um, my name is Caitlin. I have two little boys, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, getting a new business going. It's starting to take off, which is pretty awesome and exciting. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm Marsa. I am a mother of an 18-month-old boy. And uh, I'm primarily a stay-at-home mom. Uh, when I'm able to, I work in wardrobe for the theaters and ballet. Um, and uh, that's my husband's primary field uh, in the theater, working props. So he's working a lot more than, than I am. And uh, so staying at home a lot is uh, my, uh, my reality. And... Um, I have been going through and navigating post-adoption depression 
uh, since the arrival of my son and uh, I have attended a few of these groups and find them very helpful and really appreciate uh, everybody's honesty so far, like just the experience and uh, just uh, having other people to listen to and other people to talk to. So that's about it for me. I'm Tiffany, um, stay-at-home mom of two girls, five-year-old who's in kindergarten and three-year-old at home with me. Um, my family and I just moved over the summer from Texas to Maryland, so we are still getting settled into new routines and new uh, people, new everything, um, which has been different and interesting to navigate but so far so good Rowan do you want to tell us about yourself sure um <clears throat> I'm on my phone and when I move around too much it mutes me so uh, my name is Rowan I'm a newly licensed midwife and a professional kundera and um See, all my kids are really old, so that's nice. And most of the um, people who come in to see me, like somebody came in for labor whispering today, this is the same age of my kids, so that's interesting. I feel very maternal. And uh, one of the reasons we started this postpartum support group is that it can be very isolating and hard to get people out of the door, out of their homes to come to a group. So we thought, why not make it so they, you know, it's easy for them to come to us. So that was the, the. Um, motivation for starting this group and specifically started for one of our friends that we love very much who needed support so that's how we got here and we've been doing this for two years I think no one year what are we a year we have a year's worth of podcasts up at least and we might be moving into um we've been doing it two years is that what you think okay um but it's been a while and so we have a nice long list of podcasts and um it's just fun to do it and I'm glad that we're able to be together and even see Tiffany after she moves so that's nice so there we go. I also want to say that Martha is a fabulous metalsmith, so she's not giving herself props for that. And I also want to know a little bit more about the um, business that Caitlin's doing after we talk about her topic, if we have more time. Okay. Okay, sorry, I'm not used to driving. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been since this summer since I've like uh, done this. Um, okay, so the topic today is how was um, postpartum different than you thought it would be or any of the zingers? Um, I guess one way we could do that is like, uh, uh, what do you wish you had known but didn't know? But a lot of times that doesn't resonate with people because they haven't had that experience to really wrap their head around what you're saying. Um, I see that a lot when I work with people. I'll talk to them and be like, hey, we need to figure out what's in your fridge and we need to do this and tell people don't come to the birth and you know, this is not badge TV. And people are like, huh? And then they have the baby and they're like, oh, I wish I had, you know, like listened to you. And I'm like, yes, me too. Now we have to process the trauma of you not listening to me. Who knows everything? But that's not how therapy works. So <laughs> letting people have their own experience and then helping them heal that. So maybe um one way is to think about what you could have told yourself in a way that you could have heard it or just things that you learned a lot in um, the postpartum period that 
there was no way you could have anticipated that or expected it. So any zingers. Ooh, Rowan is moving around a ton. <laughs> okay, who wants to go first? Because it's not me. I'll start. Um, with my first daughter, I was very excited about breastfeeding. And it turned out that it was very difficult for the both of us. Um, she had a bad latch and I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, I had like cracked and bleeding nipples and she wasn't eating enough. So she was constantly nursing and I was pretty much glued to my couch for the first at least six weeks, six weeks to six months. And um, I think that part of the PPD that I experienced was because I felt like I wasn't able to feed my child the way that I wanted to. And I felt guilty and I felt inadequate as a mother. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. Um, so if I could have told myself ahead of time, um, I, I would have told myself to keep asking for help, keep reaching out, um, utilize all of the resources that, you know, the professionals are giving you, the doctors are giving you, um, utilize your friends. You know, when somebody says they want to babysit, take them up on it because I have had a difficult time asking for help. And then when I had my first baby girl and then breastfeeding and postpartum, it was like I just closed myself off. And um, it took a lot for me to reach out, to put myself out there and to ask for help. And then with my second daughter, I, I knew things that I knew things would be different. So in my head, I was so excited for like a latching baby and pumping and having an oversupply and a freezer stash. And she had an even worse time with a latch and I wound up formula feeding her. And that was even a, even more of a big guilt trip because I wasn't able to breastfeed at all. And I felt like I wasn't giving my second daughter the same opportunities, the same connection, the same bond. So um, I, I got myself psyched up for the change that it was going to be different. And it was the complete opposite of what I was expecting. And there's not really anything that you can do to prepare yourself for that, except for know that even what you expect to happen might not happen. And I think that was really hard for me. I think that's really solid to just, you know, know that things are going to go completely differently than you expect them to. And so some of it is having that, like what we talk about in fancy um, therapy is psychological flexibility, you know, just knowing that shit is going to be sideways and can you maintain your shit when it goes sideways? So 
That's a really vulnerable share there, Tiffany. I know a lot of like, I think there's a big argument going on in one of the groups I moderate about breastfeeding, you know, happens every like quarterly, <laughs> a big showdown about feeding and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, guys, people. So, okay. Anybody got anything else? Oh, Mama D's here. Hi, Mama D. We're talking about zingers that um, postpartum period, things that went sideways or were different than what you expected. Um, maybe even reframed as if you could talk to yourself in the past, like how would you tell them about these things? So, and Tiffany just shared. So, Caitlin, Mama D, Martha. My big one was because my first was what's called a home birth cesarean. So we planned an out of hospital home birth and then we ended up needing a cesarean and I've, it's taken me a long time to accept that he needed to come that way. Um, when we got home, I felt like I got dropped by all the surgical staff, by all of the doctors, but at the same time, I didn't really want their help because I was just so in myself and mad at myself for like not having my baby where I wanted to have my baby. Um, and I remember like my mom was there to help me for like two weeks afterwards and everything, but it didn't feel like enough time and that I wasn't giving myself enough grace and I'm like having to get up and down the stairs and do all of those things so quickly and early and I remember at one point there was like a pocket on my scar that like opened it wasn't like actually into my internal but it was just like a little air pocket but it had like some blood and like some stuff in it and I like freaked out because I had no clue what it was no idea what was going on like felt like I was dying you know my mom of course is like internally scared shitless but externally is like being a mom, right? And going, okay, let's handle this. Um, the way moms do, like in the moment, they just do that thing. I'm sure we've all done it at some point with our kids. They, they crash into something. You go cry later because you can't cry in the moment. Um, and so that was my biggest issue too, was also asking for help, calling the surgeons, asking for those things saying, hey, you know what, just because I didn't have the birth I wanted doesn't mean I, I should be dropping these people who helped me um, when I needed it too. Like, yes, I can call my midwife, but I should have also been calling those doctors or calling the hospital and asking those questions and asking for that, that care before I left, you know, and saying, hey, what do I, ex what should I expect? Because I was clueless because C-section wasn't in my repertoire of things I researched because that wasn't going to happen to me. Um, hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. So, yeah, I guess my advice to myself would be the same thing of let, let things happen the way that they need to happen and give yourself grace. Because the second time around, postpartum was very different. I listened to all of Dr. B's wonderful things of don't invite more people than need to be there. Like I even chose not to have birth photography specifically because I didn't want extra people, whether I knew them or not. You know, I was making those powerful choices. And then I didn't have anyone show up to the house till like two or three days later. And I was like, you know what, now I really, I need some people, you know. Um, and it did make a big difference because then I felt ready. I felt like I had showered and gotten clean and, you know, 
than the things I needed to do. But yeah. So back to asking for help, asking for the care that you need, whether or not you know you need it. Asking preemptive questions of, okay, so now this is how this went. What should I expect? Good, bad, ugly, any of it. Things to look for. Yeah. Caitlin, did you feel like after you had the surgical birth that you didn't deserve that help? Was that ever on the radar or no, you just didn't ask for it? I don't know. I don't think that was ever on my radar. I just was, they also released me after 48 hours, which most hospitals require you to stay 72. But I was kind of a giant bitch in the hospital. And I think they were like, okay, she really wants to leave. Like, let's let her go. Right. Because I was just so mad and I, I was taking it out on everyone else, which I think also played into the part that they released me and a day early, essentially. Um, so I don't think it was that. I think it was just all out of anger that things didn't go according to plan A, B and ended in C, you know, like it was just so far off kilter that I didn't even know what to, to make of it. Um, for me, I think, you know, if I could go back and, and tell myself, you know, this is what you need to prepare for or look out for is the fact that um, for someone like me with a history of anxiety and depression is at higher risk for um, post-adoption depression or um, any kind of uh, post-birth depression. And um, I do find myself, I get angry when I think about how, you know, along the way, you know, the adoption agency or the counselors I was seeing at the, at the time, um, if I would have known that I was going to be at higher risk for increased depression, increased anxiety, like everything that you suffer from is going to like slam on you like a brick, um, that, you know, would I have had a better support network? at the ready, or would that have even been possible? Um, maybe just the knowledge and research on my own would have been helpful um, to just know that it would be coming and to, to like, hold on, <laughs> it's coming. Um, so, and because I'm still in it, it's still kind of hard for me um, to describe some things at this point, you know, the mind is kind of a jumble, but um, that's what stands out for me is, wishing that I had known that there was even a thing called post-adoption depression and uh, that it's like it parallels a lot of postpartum depression symptoms. Um, and uh, yeah, would have liked to have known more. Um, hey guys, I am coming at you live from New York. Just got back from, or like literally just walked into the apartment from the airport. I was like, I need to get on this call because I haven't been on here for a long time and I need to get on. Um, so we're in New York right now, but, <laughs> um, I think like looking back on my births, 
I don't know, like being a birth worker, right? Like you prepare for everything. You think about everything, especially after my, my first, cause that's when I became a doula. But, um, I don't know, kind of coming to terms with like after each baby, it gets harder and harder and it doesn't get easier. I mean, it gets easier in a sense that you kind of know what you're doing, but it also gets harder. Um, like I remember one of my girlfriends was telling me after her third, she got postpartum depression and she was just like, prepare, prepare, because I didn't think that was going to happen. And it didn't happen to me, but, um, just like the first three weeks postpartum were so rough on me. Uh, and I think like, you know, after my second was born, I thought, Oh, my mom's going to be here. Like she was the first time around and she wasn't, uh, and not, not like I'm holding it against her, but like the first time around she came and stayed with us for two weeks and then the second time when I had my daughter um Anaya we were in Texas and I was like we've got a guest room we've got like a huge house like she's gonna bunk up here and it's gonna be so much nicer for her and she didn't she did come like in the mornings and helped me out like she helped me get Aya out of the crib because she didn't want me to carry anything she made sure I had breakfast and lunch and she prepped and then she would head out um, and then third time around, I knew I was like, yeah, I need to get a postpartum doula for this um, because I knew that people were going to be more like backed off even more so because it's like, oh, it's the third time around. Like you got this. Um, and that like wasn't the case at all. Uh, I, my body hurt so much more the third time around. Like I could literally feel a crash inside of me up to like 72 hours after the birth where my body would just like burn out and everything would hurt. Um, I didn't even like when she's sitting next to me kind of deal. Like just like any movement around me would hurt me. And then uh, just taking care of myself and the children was really hard. And even though I had a postpartum doula, just she only came like three times a week. And so I think going back, I would tell myself, you know, we're looking in the future. If I have more kids, I'd say that's, that's where I need to invest. I need to invest in my postpartum more. I need to, need to have, someone there for me you know seven days a week if that's what I need for three weeks you know because that person is the one that's going to say sit down I'm going to get what you need why are you in the kitchen you know you don't need to be here doing that what do you want to eat let me make it for you um and helping me with the kids so I don't like lose my mind because I remember like there were like little incidents where the kids were doing like small things. and I was just breaking down, like crying, just not having fun. Um, so in the long term, I'm kind of like, you know, I need to just save up more money and, and pay for a postpartum doula because it makes it easier sending out that cash flow if you saved up over nine months. Whereas like last minute being like, crap, I really need extra help, but that's like an extra brand out. And I don't have that right now, you know, especially for some of us who do like home births because we're already kind of paying out of pocket quite a bit. So um, that would be my thing is it doesn't get easier with each kid um, and you just need more help and more people around you with each kid. And that was definitely one thing that, that I noticed too is that I was better when I had friends come and see me and like one of my best friends who has been my best friend since high school she told me, she was like, I didn't know that you needed that. I, I thought you really wanted like time away and kind of like, you know, to be with the baby on your own. And I was like, man, I didn't know that I gave that impression off. And um, so I'm glad I like spoke out and said, hey, I need you to come over more. Like I need, I need some company. I just need like that, 
because I think what I missed was my mom being here and having like that 24 hour companionship. Um, like when baby was sleeping, we'd watch a movie or do fun things together in, in the house, talk. Um, and it's hard if like your spouse or your partner is going back to work soon after birth because like my husband only could take off like two days of work. So, yeah. I think that's a good point, you know, um, like what is it to invest money into, you know, like um, people, when I'm working with them, I'll be like, okay, well, I think that getting a doula, a birth doula um, would be really helpful. And they're like, oh, well, I'm already paying, you know, $20 for my coke pay for my birth. And I'm like, okay, well, children are expensive, right? So now they're saving for onesies and diapers and cribs. And I'm like, no, 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 the more we help you now, the more that you can I don't know, find that stuff at the thrift store, <laughs> have the bandwidth for it. Um, so it's kind of like what, like how would you rank things that you need, you know, like financially, obviously you need to have your, um, your birth paid for, right? So if you're using insurance and, you know, what is the copay, what is the deductible, if you're paying with cash, um, you know, what is that? And then like, what would be the next important thing? I think if, if um, I think everybody should have a uh, birth doula, obviously, um, but I think people of color or people who are not like cis white women, um, I would advise and like recommend to get a, a doula, um, a birth doula. And then for people who have mental illness um, before they're pregnant or it shows up during pregnancy, I'm like, okay, let's talk about a birth doula and a postpartum doula. And then they're looking at me like, how am I going to afford that? And I'm like, I know, I know. So like maybe we don't have, you know, 14 toys at Christmas. Maybe Christmas comes early if you celebrate Christmas or whatever it is that people will give you gifts for. Um, and so you're like, you know what? For the next three years, I'm not going to have a birthday. I just want a postpartum doula. And you can pretty much, uh, I'm an adult, never give me a birthday present again. Just help me with this. Or like, how do we call in those favors? Um, I don't know if you guys have any ideas or inputs or what is the thing that you would call in the most favors for? Like Mama D just said, a postpartum doula. Like never, ever, ever going to happen anymore. If that's in the budget, make it in the budget, right? So knowing that you have nine months, what would you save for um, if you were to do it again or you were telling a buddy that would listen? I'm going to be quiet. Well, one thing that I want to say is when, <clears throat> like, people want to celebrate with you when you're pregnant. And so one of the things that you can do is designate one person to be the people, like, you know, a group present, right? So instead of extras and people like the convenience of a group present so if you say you know look i'm getting a birth doula and it costs this amount or i need a postpartum doula and it costs this amount and this is what i'd like you know for my shower my celebration and stuff to go to then if you have one designated person that is the collection person that they can venmo or whatever then that's a good way to do it um and i'm sure that there's platforms online for like everybody contributing to a gift or something like that but that's the way to do it um, in my opinion, is get all the people who want to help, because even the people in your office who, like, only, you know, want to contribute $5 or whatever, sweet, you know, that's, that all adds up at some point, so I think that's the way to do it, that, you know, find yourself a postpartum doula, and um, uh, or, uh, a labor doula, and then 
designate one of your best girlfriends that they're going to be the point person. And then you always direct them at shower invites or office things or whatever that, you know, you have a few snacky foods and then you have your person that is collecting the funds, the group funds. And that way everybody can get in on something that's really powerful. And you can even craft a thing of like, this is why I want this. You know, this is why I need this for my postpartum mental health. You know, and that's where you can um, like kind of pre-gratitude up for all the reasons why you want this and help create that that happens. So that's my advice is get all the people who want to contribute and celebrate with you to put their centavos towards a, a labor doula or a postpartum doula. Yeah, so one of my clients, actually, she just said, she took a picture. She's got like a money jar um, in her home, and it says moolah for the doula. <laughs> and I was like, that's so great. I love it. It's so catchy. Moolah for the doula. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I, I totally agree with Rowan in that idea. I think it's great. Something else that really um, got me with my first was we bought all the things, right? We didn't use all the things. And that was a big trap was, um, in the end, breastfeeding was successful for us. So we needed a boppy and we needed a crib or somewhere to lay baby down and otherwise like some clothes and some onesies. And here in Houston, it was hot because I gave birth in September. So it was hot to start. You know, we needed very minimal clothing and a couple of blankets. And that was, I think part of it was that we fell into the trap of buying all the things so our funds were diverted to things that we ended up not using or not needing um so that was part of it too and then I'm as you know as we had our second I'm like oh I'm totally reusing everything and I'd rather buy it used because it's gonna get destroyed so I think that was a big thing too is we were able to save more money with our second because we had our funds diverted differently and because we valued it not needing to be new because we understood at that point that clothes are going to get ruined you know we um we had things left over all of those things even though we had the same sex baby if we had had a different sex baby we'd still have used all the same clothes because it's just it gets expensive and then so many people and who cares um so many people are always giving away their baby stuff because you get so sick of it. You're just like, here, take it, right? So now it's it's easier and easier, I think, to to find a way to finance those things if you place a high value on them, which I think is part of the, the issue is that people don't know that they're of value until they need it, so they haven't saved because they didn't know it was of value. For me, if I had a wish list, that postpartum doula would be right at the top because I had no idea that that was even like a thing until after I had my babies already. And that just sounds like some magical fairy godmother, like coming to take care of me, coming to make sure that I'm taking care of myself first before I put myself out there for everyone else. And, um, I, I had to, we had to reel it in with Willow last night because she out of nowhere just said, mommy, you need to have a baby in your belly. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you want mommy to be holding a tiny little baby and you 
not be able to be held <laughs> because if I have a little baby, mom's not going to be able to pick you up all the time and I'm not going to be able to spend all the time with you because I'm going to be taking care of a baby. And it kind of was like, oh, okay, maybe not. And I was like, no, we're not ready for that right now. <laughs> but that postpartum doula, that's what I'm springing for. <laughs> Yeah, and I also want to say, I think this time around too, I know how much time I need a postpartum doula for in a day because like my old last time, yeah. she came three times a week for four hours a day. And I really need more than that to get like a meal prep in, not just because she would help oh. me like with like small house cleaning, you know, um, holding my laundry, um, helping making my bed, making my, my, my breakfast, watch the kids as I like soak in a sits bath. And then... And then there was no real time to like meal prep for oh, the week. Yeah. Like for there were other days that she wasn't going to be here. Um, so for moms who are thinking about hiring a postpartum doula, I would say six hours is probably a good like for the day. Six hours for the day. If she's not coming every day, then six hours. Because um, like I said, mine was only coming three times a week for four hours. Martha, would you hire a postpartum doula if you adopt it again or go back and do that? Yeah, I, I definitely would. Although something that went in my mind uh, was that, and I don't know if this makes any difference, my uh, post-adoption depression kind of hit maybe a few months in really bad. Like it was kind of there already but then it like kicked into high gear later on. And so, but yeah, if I, if I would have known that there was more um, services like a post uh, uh, a depression, a doula, I mean, yeah, I've never even heard of them before and I didn't know they existed um, until this group. So Sure, sure. Yeah, because like you, we bought like new stuff and we didn't have to. And um, some of the money definitely could have been spent in better places. And that would have been it for sure, for sure. Because, uh, you know, counselors and such that maybe have some background in it can only go so far, I think. So, yeah, on the wish list. And also finding like a doula who is trained or has the knowledge for postpartum depression, what to do in those situations for moms and, you know, how to seek help for them and help them. Because there are a lot of postpartum doulas who don't have that training. And if they see that come up in a mom, they almost get like scared and they tend to like, you know, oh, let me bring in someone else or they back out because they don't know what to do in those situations. So I think it's also important for moms to look into that, like that they're certified or that they have that knowledge to be able to help and look out for those things in mothers who may um, get postpartum depression or who can and will get, get it, you know? I wanted to say that um, for postpartum doulas that a lot of folks like get inspired and they want to become doulas and but <clears throat> especially a labor doula. Because, you know, birth is jazzy and kind of sexy and fun and exciting and full of adrenaline. But the logistics of being a doula is very challenging, just like being any type of birth provider. You're on call, you miss work, you miss birthdays. You know, you're not, you can't schedule it because it's wackadoo or whatever. You know, 
but being a postpartum doula, you is one of the best ways to get entry into the birth world and birth community. You can go take your course, of course, have a strong mental health component so you can be the eyes and the ears and also the like, you know, the gentle like, look, it's time to do something and then have your resource list together. Um, but you can schedule it. So once somebody has the baby, you can schedule your postpartum care and it's, you know, you can do it around your own kids work or, or your own kids school or whatever. It's much more less less on the fly and more scheduled and you can develop a relationship with your postpartum person. Um, so I just think it's a really fabulous gateway and entry point for folks who want to do birth work, aren't sure how to get into it. Um, and then there's a regular regularity to it and a schedulingness to it. And if you're somebody's postpartum doula, like people will spread the word. That's a good way to get in the birth world where you're kind of reverse engineering. Instead of coming in while somebody's pregnant, you're coming in while they're postpartum and then they share the word. And then eventually if you wanted to move into labor work, you could say, you know, send out a newsletter to your patients or, or your clients or whatever. So I think um, it's a good way and a solid way. And there's a huge need for postpartum doulas that are trained and have some business snap. And it's a good way to get in to even see if birth works what you want to do. So I'm going to throw that out there. That's all. Since you mentioned it, um, what would be some of your big tips for if you saw a mom was struggling with postpartum depression or something along those lines is not a postpartum doula, but just a friend or something, what avenues would you send them on to get help? Just for those listening, if you have any. Well, do for sure join our group. <laughs> I think that's the first thing. You got um, to join the group and then know that nothing is going to get better if you don't do something. Like it's not going to um, magically fix itself. So you've got to do something to uh, start making it right. So it, it, it won't self-resolve. In fact, it'll only go further south probably. So that's my first thing to say. Yeah, and if you're a friend who has, like, if you're a friend of that person, and maybe it's it's because breastfeeding, and, and you know, because I think breastfeeding is one of the number one causes for postpartum depression, and you see that in your friend, and be like, hey, I'm going to a breastfeeding group. Come on, let's go. I'll pick you up, and we'll go to this, like, you know, sit down where all these moms feed babies and talk about their struggles. Um, you know, so you kind of, like, invite your friend out to it instead of just saying, oh, here's this info. I think we should go. Um, right? Because then you, you become that supportive person that makes them go and helps them get there so they can start doing something about it. And then maybe they can go off by themselves and continue going to that support group or whatever it may be. That's a good point. Like if you went to a support group maybe two years ago, um, that was really helpful for you, like a breastfeeding support group, and you don't go anymore because your kids are like, I don't know, in high school but you found it really valuable and your new friend is, you know, struggling and you can see it and you don't really know how to help them. So you just say, Hey, this group is happening at this time and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to take you. So even though your kids are in high school and it doesn't necessarily apply to you, but you found it valuable, then you as the good friend or the observing friend would be like, Hey, let's get in the car, you know, and that would be a huge gift if you took, you know, half a day off of work or whatever and picked up your friend and took them to the meeting and then took them home um, with some food, by the way, like let's get you some food and then you can go home and then you'll have food. Um, that would be a really generous thing. So I think that that's probably what I see the most um, with my patients is that they just want time. 
they want time from people, they want to be seen, um, they want people to not say, hey, you know, what do you need to just show up with solutions. Um, and a lot of that's just showing up because when you're in that space with someone, you can see what they need. You know, their little breastfeeding snack basket, you know, looks dead. You're looking down and you see there's no water, there's snacks. You see that there was a basket because that was all intended and all smart when you were pregnant. And then there's nothing in it, you know, not even a, a current people magazine. It's like shredded. Right. So like when you show up, you notice kind of what needs to happen or you see the dishes are all, you know, piled high in the sink. Oh, they need a housekeeper. They need someone to just come over um, and don't say, hey, I'll hold the baby while you do the dishes. Just do the dishes. <laughs> so, you know, like when people ask me, hey, do you want to hold my baby? I'm like, you need to pee. I'm happy to hold your baby while you pee. Um, of course I want to hold your baby, but this isn't about me, right? So when people come over, or they come to the office, they're like, hey, do you want to hold the baby? It's not what I want. It's what do you want, right? So just being there and, and being with someone and seeing them, just kind of looking around. And I think when we look around, especially as a therapist, people are like, oh my God, my house is so messy. And I was like, I didn't even notice that. I just noticed how cozy your couch is. I noticed that, you know, there's a ton of dishes in the sink. And I noticed that your hair is like this. You know, so I'm looking at like, oh, I could really be helpful by going over there and doing the dishes and, you know, maybe combing her hair or just giving her a moment to comb their hair or whatever. So it's interesting how people interpret how we're looking around and kind of checking in. It's like, oh, no, my house isn't clean. Well, of course it's not clean. You just had a baby. Who cares about that? Let me look for ways that I can help and be helpful and then do it. So those are kind of some of my thoughts. I wanted to say that um, I'm an AA, I'm in recovery, and one of my friends had a home birth cesarean, and so um, we went to a meeting together, right, because I know that, that meetings are part of her mental health, but she was nervous about having the baby and how she was going to navigate that, so I went to her house, and then I drove her car, because that had the car seat in it, right, so I drove her and, and, her and the baby, I guess it was about like three weeks, and we went to an AA meeting, and that way, if the baby got fussy, I knew that I would leave the meeting and hold the baby. And she could have the meeting, right? So if there's something that you used to do with um, your friend and you want to go ahead and um, if, you, uh, if you're with your friend and you wanted, there's something you always used to do, then, you know, offer to drive, meet her there at their house, drive, use the car seat. And that's a way to return some normalcy too. And I also like that breastfeeding group idea because that's good, a weighted feed group, something like that. Even if you don't want to go, you know, like whatever, like, even if it's not applicable to you, I guess. I, I'm going to second what Dr. Bly said. So, all right. Uh, Caitlin, I actually wanted to ask you something because you talked about how you, know, you had this plan, home birth, and then you went for cesarean. It was not what you planned for or not what you had foreseen. Um, and I, I'm asking because, asking this, hold on, I gotta figure out what I'm asking. So I had a client who wanted a birth center birth. She had to be transferred. She transferred with the midwives. So it was like, you know, they were still there. They delivered the baby. It was still a vaginal birth. Um, but it was definitely not what she wanted. She felt like she failed. And so I'm trying to navigate how to help her um, get that like it's not her fault it's not like the midwife's fault it's just sometimes that's life 
you know, and it's, it's just, she needed to transfer, I think, to, to open up and to, to feel like, you know, this is where I was going to give birth because that's where she gave birth um, for her first in a hospital. So anyways, I was just trying to ask advice, I guess, from you, Kaylin, on like what helped you come to terms with, I had cesarean birth, it wasn't my planned birth, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I've never actually read my medical records, but my husband read them for me. Um, I know that if I had read my medical records before my second, I would have had issues, but that was also helpful because he's like, basically in my medical records, it said I refused a C-section like 20 times before I got one right. Um, and seeing my chart from my midwife was also really helpful because I could like, because being in labor and being at labor are very different. And so the charts look different. So when I was able to, and I'm an analytical type of person, so I needed to see the impact, yeah. right? that this happened at this time. And like, I could see the progression of, oh, this is why we needed to go. Because in the moment I was not, like I was in labor, I was not focused on the why, I was focused on Know, what was happening um, yeah so that was something that was helpful um later and then of course seeing dr b um was super helpful um because we we just we talked about it right and it, it was that processing piece of it that i needed to tell my birth story so many times um putting it down on paper like i wrote it out so that I had a record so that like before anyone else's input got put into it, I wrote it out for my own record to say, this is how I remember it. This is what happened. Because yeah, and that's, that's what I told her to do too. And I, and I told her husband to do the same thing so she could look to see what her husband saw. Yeah. Outside perspective. Because um, yeah, I think like her timeline is a little out of you know, she thought certain things and I was like, no, that didn't happen. So that's why I was like, yeah, like organize your thoughts, right? Right. So again, putting all of those things together. So like you start with your own story, the way you remember it, before you add any other kind of influence with your husband's story, your, your birth workers stories, your medical record timeline, all of those things, because it helps give you a clear picture of the why, right? Um, and that's what what i found and also just to say you know what i have a record of what happened um whether or not this is the way it happened this is the way i remember it and that's why it's affecting me this particular way right um so i think that was probably one of the biggest helpful things and it, it was just little bits at a time right this is not, this is not like done in a day fixed in a week thing this was a long-term process and knowing it's a long-term process was helpful or would have would be helpful that this is not going to go away in a month that it's just it's processing and processing takes however long processing takes does that help at all yeah no that helps a lot thank you so much i appreciate it And I would say like now um, that I've done uh, birth story listening training, it's a form of birth process um, that I learned through birthing from within and PM England. 
Um, I did not know that back in the day working with Caitlin, but now I'm a birth story listener. And I think that is really helpful because the way that we go back and process the birth is very unique. Um, when I was at the training, uh, Rowan was there with me. Um, Nikki said that you will never hear a birth story the same again. And it's a very lonely place to live where we're going. Um, and it's true because right after I did um, a couple of trainings, then I went to the big DTI conference in uh, Austin and everybody's telling these birth trauma. And I was just like looking in the room and I could see everybody being re-traumatized by listening to the story. And Joanna was with me and we both did the training and we were looking at each other like, oh my God. And we were the only two that looked at each other and could see that we see the birth completely differently than the people who were there and then the room. Um, and so how we do process birth now as birth story listeners is very different. Um, but it is productive and healing. So, and it doesn't always happen in one session, um, but it could happen in a very small number of sessions, um, depending on how many things that are to process about the birth. Um, but it is healing. And sometimes when we talk about the birth, it's good to have someone listen to us and get us to be like, oh my gosh, I went differently for you. Or yes, I hear what you're saying is a lot different than a birth story listening session where we're, our intention is to heal that scar from the inside out. So that was my tip. I typed it on the thing, but people listening to this later won't hear that. So birth story listening, so. And Dr. B, are you taking, um patients right now just for like birth story listening? I am. I'm taking all kinds of patients now because I passed my test so I cleared my wait list. So now we're back and I'm looking for a student. So um, okay. that would be great because the student would do more traditional therapy until they get birth story listening trained. But birth story listening is great because it's like, I don't know, maybe like three to five sessions. I know that the pros like Pam England and Nikki can do it in like one or two. Um, I'm a big fancy therapist, but birth story listening is still kind of a new offering for me. Um, so I'm not as quick as they are. I'm not as efficient, but it's definitely efficient. It's not like therapy where we go in and we unpack like, and then in high school, this thing happens <laughs> very focused. Um, so I'm very targeted. So someone could come in and basically have had the worst life of their life or, you know, and um, not do anything about that. And we could process the birth separate. So, and then they could bounce. Do you have info on that on your website that talks about just what birth story listening is? No, but I can fix that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks. I will get that done. Do that now. Okay, okay. I will. <laughs> All right, it's 11.57, so I uh, think that is wrapping up our big chat for today. We had like a pretty good crew here. Oh, Rowan has something to say. Good. Go, Rowan. I wanted to ask everybody real quick if they knew anything about um, post-adoption depression because it was like just barely on my radar before um, before Martha brought it to my attention and then I was like oh shit and then another one of my friends um, like messaged me immediately after she heard Martha's story on this and like said that she had the same experience so um, I just like from a real quick yay or nay and you can just wave your hand um, but did anybody had anybody had a lot of experience with this or knew anything about it um okay so caitlin said she never heard of it and dr b did you know about it okay so dr b knew about it i thought that yeah it could happen but i wasn't aware that you know like i just wasn't aware um tiff did you know anything about it 
No, so that's a no on Tiffany. Mama D, had you ever heard of it before? I hadn't, but now that I look back on it, I kind of can see it because my dad's first marriage, he had two adopted children. And I think his ex-wife had it. Now that I look back on things, but prior to that, no. And not until up to now, not until like Martha, we talked to Martha about that first time you came on, Martha, and you spoke a bit. I had never Mm -hmm. thought about that. Okay. And I know somebody else who um, had it also. Well, like he got it, I guess post-adoptive depression was that for him was like he had a daughter but didn't know about it for like 10 years and then adopted her when she was 12 or something like that or not adopted her but green custody so kind of a similar situation to Martha's but um you know as far as like you know it happened rapidly and he didn't know about it and stuff like that so I guess I'm just kind of thinking more about that so Martha I appreciate you coming to the meetings and um you know growing us as a group because we we need it and uh, I'm appreciative so okay back to you Dr. B doctor back to you Well, I know that statistically right now they're looking at partners um, and postpartum depression and kind of like PMADs. So um, though it's very gender um, biased right now, but they're saying like 10% of dads get postpartum depression too. So that's pretty high. Like we're talking one in 10 um, birthing partners um, are getting or like having PPD symptoms. So it tells us that people are vulnerable to sudden changes in their life, as we well know, and this makes sense. And this is a, a, a big sudden change. But I think the, the thing here is that this is a chosen choice, right? Like or a chosen change. Um, and so I think a lot of times people don't reach out to help because they're like, well, I did it to myself. Um, that's not like a real, of course, like whatever, we can buy a car and it's a lemon and we're like, oh, I did it to myself. Does that mean you don't get to have a car that gets you to work because you bought this lemon? You know, it's okay to say we didn't know, we didn't know, and now we know, and let's do something about it. So I'm here to practice and employ compassion on ourselves and others. So. Okay, well, that wraps us up. So um, I want Caitlin to tell us that thing that she tells us um, because she says it's so great. Go. Um, so if you would like to join us for the live taping um, and recording of the Preggers Can Be Choosers fourth and more support group, we are on every other Tuesday uh, at 11 a.m. Central Time. So if today was October 15th, our next uh, visit will be October 29th at 11 a.m. Central Time. We look forward to having more people in our group. So please come join us. Wonderful. All right. So I'm going to unmute everybody and let's go nuts and tell each other how much we love each other. Although I can't figure out how to unmute. How do you do that? I'll just click it. Unmute. Oh, I unmuted you. Okay. And then let's just tell everybody how much we love each other. So. Say bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Love everybody. Thank you bye. so much. Bye. Until next time. Two right. weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> bye. 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 Oh, thank you.